This is Crime Connections. We're your hosts. I'm Leah. And I'm Jackie. The case that we are going to cover today has been in the news actually very recently, just back in April and June of this year. It mostly is out west in Arizona, and it involves the conviction of a serial killer that was dubbed the Phoenix Canal Killer, who turned out to be well-known in the cosplay community as the Zombie Hunter. He evaded police for over a decade before being brought to justice for his crimes for two murders. But authorities are begging the question, could there be more? In 1992, on November 8th, around 7 p.m. in Phoenix, Arizona, 21-year-old Angela Broso went out for an evening bike ride. At that time, she was living with her boyfriend, Joe Krakowicki. I'm wow. so sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, near the canal, and they often would ride their bikes together along the canal. Angela's birthday was the very next day, so November 9th, so Joe stayed behind, opting out of going on the bike ride with her so he could make her a birthday cake. After Angela didn't arrive home by 8 p.m., Joe immediately started to worry. Every Sunday, they would watch Living in Color together, so Joe knew right away that something was wrong. It was very out of character for Angela to not come back home from her bike ride more or less promptly. After briefly looking for Angela and calling around to some friends to see if maybe she had gone to see them or if they had seen her riding along the canal, Joe called the police and reported Angela missing. The very next morning, while patrolling on bikes on November 9th, 1992, which would have been Angela's 22nd birthday, Angela Broso's body was found. Bloody drag marks had led up a slight incline to a field not far from where her apartment was. Angela's body had been found beheaded. Uh, her body was mutilated and it was almost severed in two. She was found naked with only her sneakers on. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. It wouldn't be until 11 days later that her head would be found in the Arizona Canal, so the same canal that she was riding her bike along. Wow. And just to note, her bike has never been found to this day. Weird. So they found her body. Eventually, they did find her head. They've never found her bike. The forensic examiner determined that Angela had died from a stab wound to the back that pierced her aorta and lung, pretty much confirming that she was attacked from behind. It was confirmed that she was also sexually assaulted. On September 21st, 1993, almost a year later, 17-year-old Melanie Burness had stayed home from school sick. Her mother, Marlene, had left to go out to dinner that night and informed Melanie that she would be home in a couple of hours. When Marlene arrived home, Melanie was nowhere to be found. Immediately, Marlene called the police and reported Melanie missing. Kind of like that mother's intuition that we talk about, she just knew something was wrong. Melanie's bike was missing, which led investigators to believe that she had decided to leave home and go out for a bike ride. Marlene was very strict about not allowing Melanie to ride her bike along the canal at night, but with no bike at the house, it was really easy for them to conclude that she had gone to meet up with friends along the canal. The next morning, a cyclist called authorities after riding through what they believed was a pool of blood. The blood was found by the I-17 underpass, which was close to where Angelo Broso's head had been found. Oh, wow. Bloody drag marks again, 
led to where Melanie's body had been moved and dropped into the canal, where she ended up drifting about 12 feet, and she came to a stop in some brush. Melanie also suffered a stab wound to the back that pierced her lung and aorta, was sexually assaulted, and what was different about her body versus Angela's was she had the letters WSC carved into her chest, which... So, she was progressing. Yes. Considering both victims had been found in close proximity to one another, they had very similar causes and manners of death, and both had been riding their bikes alone along the canal at night, investigators immediately linked the two murders together. Though DNA had been also found at both crime scenes, the murders quickly turned cold because there were no witnesses and there was very little evidence to go off of. Again, this was back before DNA was like a huge thing. And just because you have DNA, it has to be in the system. Exactly. The murders called the Phoenix Canal murders perplexed authorities for over a decade. It wouldn't be until 2014 when Colleen Fitzpatrick, a nuclear physicist, would start kind of toying with the idea of using DNA from genealogy databases to help solve cold cases. So she was one of those that pioneered the idea of taking DNA that has been willingly submitted to these databases, partnering Mm -hmm. with them, and trying to kind of look to see if any cold cases could be solved. Yeah. While attending a conference in Phoenix, Colleen approached the Phoenix Police Department with her theory, and she offered to apply the technique to one of their cold cases. Several weeks later, they sent Colleen the Y DNA profile for the crime scene from the Phoenix Canal murders. So the Phoenix Police basically said, all right, here you go. This is the cold case that we're giving you. Let's see if anything comes out of it. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? After putting the information into a search, six matches were found with the name Miller. Wow. What this meant is that six people with the last name Miller had submitted their DNA sample to one of these DNA home test companies, and the canal killer's DNA matched perfectly. It didn't mean that one of them was the killer, yeah. but rather that a family member could be, considering that the Y DNA is passed down intact from father to son. Mm-hmm. So it was clearly a male, a, in the family. a male relative. Using this information, investigators looked at the list of potential sus- suspects that they kind of put together when the murders initially had happened, and they came across a man that they had spoken to about the murders many years before wow. with the last name Miller. They devised a plan to obtain this man's DNA, which that has never been revealed how they obtained it. Even in, like, we'll get to it further, the trial, it is not really clear how they obtained the DNA, but they they obtained his DNA. Which, I mean, honestly, they could do it easily from the garbage. Yeah, they can. In the, you know, mm-hmm. like, they can easily collect your garbage because yep. it's on, prop- it's on public, public property. property. And once they obtained it, it turned out to be a perfect match. On January 13th, 2015, Brian Patrick Miller was arrested for the murders of Angela Brosso and Melanie Burness. Brian Miller was someone that police had questioned about the murders initially, but with nothing to link him to the murders, there wasn't much that investigators could do. Brian Patrick Miller was born in October of 1972. I will say that there's not a ton of information about him that I could find in my research, so I'm only going to stick with 
what's relevant to the case mm -hmm. and kind of how he was portrayed in the community. I'm not going to go into like the details of his past, all that stuff. So we're just going to kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. Uh, Brian Miller was obsessed with cosplay and he was dubbed as the zombie hunter. He would often attend steampunk conventions. I didn't know, I mean, I know of cosplay. I know like yeah. Comic Con and all that, but I never realized how there are a lot of different categories of cosplay. Oh, okay. So the one that he was obsessed with is called steampunk, and it's where people dress up in Victorian and apocalyptic era type clothing. Oh. So it's very specific. That's cool. Yeah, it's Victorian apocalyptic. That's steampunk. Miller's zombie hunter was portrayed as an individual that hunted zombies and would run them down in his souped-up car. His car was like his pride and joy. Mm. It was very easily recognized at every single convention that he went to. And around the Phoenix area, they knew who he was. Wow. It was a Crown Vic, which is just like an old police car. Which is a big car. Yeah, with lights on top. He had fake blood on the sides of it. There were bars on the back windows, and sometimes he would even have mannequins in the back, kind like, of like dressed up, yeah, to yeah. make it look that creepy. And I mean, and he would, there are pictures, and obviously we'll post some of him dressed up like in this outfit, and he would carry around like fake looking zombie killer guns. He went all out. Wow. And it was That also makes a me big wonder deal. if he ever portrayed being a cop having that car. I never found anything that he did, but you never know. It, you never know. I mean, it was, it looked like a car, but like all around it, you could tell it wasn't a cop car because it had the big letters that said zombie hunter. The lights on top weren't red and blue. They were like yellow and orange and along the sides, it even said zombie hunter. So it was pretty. But I just wonder, because at nighttime, if you saw lights true. behind and you, it, I mean, no matter where, what car, that, what it mm -hmm. is, if you saw lights behind you that were, like, portraying a cop car, you would pull over. He was never found portraying to be a cop. Yeah. So I just wonder, though. I wonder. Cause it's, I, w I wouldn't put it past him, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I never found anything that said that. The cosplay world was absolutely enthralled with Brian Miller's take on this Victorian-era zombie hunter. And very quickly, Miller's character and persona were well-known in Phoenix and the steampunk world. There are even some photos of Brian Miller posing with Phoenix police officers in front of his zombie hunter wow. car because of how souped up it was. Mm -hmm. He had a Facebook page called The Arizona Zombie Hunter, and he would often advertise that he could be booked for parties or events wow. so people would book him to come and make an appearance and bring his car and take pictures in front of it so he was kind of a big deal um i mean everybody that knew him said that he was a great guy super friendly life of the party That's once he was wild. arrested the entire cosplay community was shaken to its core i mean he was a man that was friends with many, and he was being accused of murdering two young women, mm -hmm. and very heinously. Yeah. In his everyday life, he was an Amazon delivery driver. He was divorced, and he had sole custody of his daughter. Oh, wow. So, That's surprising. Yes, because he's the father. So I just want to kind of emphasize on that. He drove a delivery van for Amazon, and once he divorced his wife, he was able to obtain sole custody of his daughter. Which means his wife had to have had... There had to have been something, something. 
proving, and he was able to move her to Arizona. So she must have not wanted custody. Something. Because you can't move out of state. No. You have or if you, you can have custody and you can move out of state, but there basically has to be something. You have to find something wrong with the other parent. Or like you said, they very much willingly are like, okay, fine. You can move out of state. I'm not mm-hmm. going to try and stop you. Yeah. Investigators started working to build their case against Brian Patrick Miller after he had been arrested. And it was very soon and very quickly revealed that he actually had a history of violence and a pattern. They made the discovery that on May 23rd, 2002, in Everett, Washington, Melissa Ruiz Ramirez was walking along the side of the road when Brian Miller had stopped and offered her a ride. Melissa had recognized Brian from a friend's apartment, so she wasn't too worried about accepting the ride. And if you see pictures of him, he doesn't seem like somebody that you'd be too scared of. He has glasses, he's taller, he has darker hair, but he doesn't, and again, I mean, we always say this, people don't have to look a certain way, like a murder doesn't look a certain way, but yeah. I can see how she would just be like, oh yeah, I've met him, he's nice, it's gonna be totally fine. Yeah. While they were in the car, they had talked about how some of the walking paths in that area were dangerous, and that was why Brian wanted to give her a ride. And this is where it gets a little muddy, because it's claimed that Brian Miller drove Melissa to his work and attacked her and stabbed her in the back with a 12-inch serrated knife. Oh, my gosh. So this is what Melissa's account is of it, that he more or less kind of took her by surprise and stabbed her in the back, a lot like Angela and Melanie. Yeah. But Brian Miller claimed that it was done in self-defense and that Melissa had tried robbing him. So all charges were dropped. I what? don't I don't know if Melissa had maybe like a criminal past, so police were like, I don't know if I'm going to believe her claims that mm-hmm. you know, he did this intentionally. But that's still he why did he have that knife? Exactly. That's what Well, and he tried saying like, well, we were talking about how dangerous it is around there, so of course I had my knife so I can always protect myself. You know the classic mm-hmm. like, oh, whoa, it's me. But all charges were dropped. That's wild. And, yeah. So, But now, knowing what we know, it's very clear that Melissa Ruiz Ramirez is lucky to be alive. Mm -hmm. It was shortly after this incident as well that Brian Miller moved back to Phoenix, Arizona. So he lived there, like, in his early teens and in his 20s, around the time that Melanie and Angela were murdered. Then he moved to Washington, got married ended up divorcing and gained custody of his daughter. And then he had this incident with Melissa uh, Ruiz Ramirez. Which clearly was going to be, I mean, it had to have been a victim. Been, yes. And she just happened to get away or something. Yes. And he, when, once that happened, he decided to move back to Phoenix. I also just want to point out that even though he had stabbed another woman in another state, you would think, well, that would warrant having to submit DNA. But he was exonerated on all charges. So he didn't have to submit any DNA because no charges were brought against him. Yeah. Had there been charges brought against him, it would have been a lot sooner. A search warrant was performed at Brian Miller's home after he was arrested in 2015. And this is where investigators discovered that he was a hoarder. It took several days for police to comb through everything in his home. It was stacked with comic books, trash, random like knickknacks, belongings, collectible items. 
After the search warrant was conducted, they didn't find any evidence that Brian Miller had known Angela Brosso or Melanie Burness, but I will go out to say they did find evidence, but they weren't able to say, he was, it wasn't like premeditated. He didn't know these women. He didn't have any well, connection it, with them. The way the crimes lay out, it doesn't seem like he did need to know right. them. It seems like a... It seems like he just attacked them from behind. I mean, yeah, they, it, it seems like they had no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he, she's out here. I'm out here. Let me do it. Yep. You know? During initial police interviews, Miller had denied any involvement in the murders. He admitted that, yes, he lived in the area at the time of the murders and that he would often ride his bike along the canals, but he did not murder either of the victims. Well, why even admit that? Right. Like, you're already lying, so why you admit the So when the they first interviewed him, like very first on, back in when Angela and Melanie were both murdered back in the early 90s, he was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I ride my bike along there too. It's so scary that something like that can happen to these women. But I didn't know them. I didn't, obviously, I don't have anything to tell you. So investigators just kind of like put his name down because, you know, he was, he lived pretty close to where both of their bodies were found. And it's one of those things where you just keep that name in the, like in your back pocket. Yeah. Like we talked to him, but there's not much to go off of. So I, I'm just like, and that was even admitted then. Like, yeah. why did you even admit it? I don't. They have no evidence of you going down there. Yes. So don't talk about it. Yeah, that's. But he did. So then he basically just reiterated after they arrested him. Which yeah makes sense. Trial for Brian Patrick Miller actually did not start until October third, twenty twenty two. So he was arrested in January of two thousand fifteen, and I know that we've talked before about being allowed a fair and speedy trial. So I did a lot of digging as to why it took seven years for the trial to start, because seven years, even I was kind of like. Okay, maybe two years I can see, but seven. That's a long so, time. So, yeah, I found found a lot of information. So initially, Brian Miller did not have an attorney. He walked into more or less like his hearing, claiming that he was innocent, didn't have an attorney. I think he thought it was going to be a lot like the Melissa Ruiz Ramirez, where he claimed it was self-defense. Mm-hmm. So I think he thought, well, they don't have anything on me. I'm going to go in there It'll be quick and, and it's going to be quick and I'm yeah. going to leave. But that was where it was, he was told that they had his DNA and that his DNA matched the DNA left at the crime scene perfectly. So it was at this time when he found that he was not going to be allowed to be left like in the back out to the public. He wasn't going to be allowed to be released. That was when they gave bail. (laughs) Yeah. So they gave him that time to find an attorney. He didn't want one appointed to him. He wanted to hire an attorney. So he was given that time. And you're allowed to have like a a period of time to hire that an attorney. Long, no, hang on, there's more. Okay, I'm like, hold up. <laughs> there's no way. Nope, there's more. So next, Brian Miller got his attorney, and this was like almost six months later. Miller and his attorney claimed that when the murders were committed, Brian was undergoing a psychotic breakdown and was not in his right mind. So they were basically pleading insanity. Of course. This psychotic break, according to Brian, was due to years of repressed emotions from being raised by an abusive mother. Once he had claimed insanity as his defense, the prosecution had to have him evaluated to determine if it was a viable defense, which, spoiler alert, it obviously wasn't, but we'll get into that more. So after needing to get an attorney, claiming insanity as his 
defense. Yeah. Having to get evaluated. I also, it was like close to 2018, 2019. So about three years later, I also read that the victims, family members, so Angela Broso's family members and Melanie Burness's family members, they had a really hard time having to talk to not just the prosecution, but the defense. And it was very taxing on them as a family unit, having to constantly relive. So mm-hmm. that also took a lot of time because there were times when they wanted to be, the defense wanted to interview them. And the yeah, family but- was like, you know what? Not right now. And even though it meant that they were going to go to trial, I think the family was just, and I get it. I mean, I can't imagine having to constantly keep doing this. And even if somebody, you know, had the murderer behind bars, I mean, it's a lot. It's traumatizing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also don't understand, though, how, because from them dragging this out for so long, mm-hmm. you're hurting the family more because yes. you're having to re-interview, because you're having to ask them yep. the same questions over and have them come in, have them, you know, I don't know. That's like yeah. almost, that's making it a thousand times worse. It is. And I never, honestly, from my perspective, I never quite understood how much work goes into trying a cold case and then doing all this research and digging through it. It is really kind of they're basically completely starting over so everything they obtained when the crime was committed all the interviews they performed everybody they talked to they have to do it all All over over again again. and not just the prosecution but the defense is doing it too because the defense isn't going to go off of what the prosecution's saying oh of course not so there's just so much work and this case at this time was 22 years old so they're literally starting over Mm -hmm. and going back which is the worst because this much time has passed and people's minds do not yes. stay. Yeah, so then there the might same. be conflicting interviews yeah. and the defense has the right to look at any suspects that the prosecution or that investigators had in place and follow up on those leads and follow up on those suspects. Yeah. But once it was good to go for a trial, COVID hit. And clearly nobody could have even for one second predicted that COVID would hit. Yeah. So I feel bad for the family because they probably were finally coming to terms with, okay, we're going to go to trial. It's we're finally gonna, going to happen. And then COVID hit. So the f- trial finally started, like I said, just last year in October of 2022. And the prosecution presented that Brian Miller was a sexual sadist that had fantasies to kill and mutilate women. They believe that was consistent with the evidence found that Miller watched violent porn his ex-wife also testified that they engaged in a lot of BDSM, uh, sexual intercourse. And Brian Miller had also written a document as a teenager detailing that one day he would kidnap, mutilate, rape, and murder a oh girl. My gosh. Yeah, like I don't know how much more evidence you need that clearly this man something was like was, unhinged yeah. and he was totally capable of doing something like this. Mm-hmm. With all of that evidence, they also included the DNA found at the crime scene from semen found from vaginal swabs performed on each of the victims, and there was DNA found on their clothing, which quite literally, this is the slam dunk, because you can't explain away how your DNA ended up inside of Of a... victim. Yes. Yeah. There's no possible way. So it's almost like once that's there, what are... And I think that's why they tried pleading insanity, because I do think the defense knew there was no you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Your DNA is not just like on their clothing 
they performed your vaginal semen. swabs and it was your part. semen. Yeah. So clearly there was something nefarious. Yes. As previously stated, Miller's defense team, they tried to claim that Brian's childhood was traumatizing, that he had suffered at the hands of an abusive mother, and that all of this abuse split his personality into two. And they argued that the trauma boiled over when he murdered the two women and that he wasn't in a sane state of mind at the time of either murder. So they're basically saying that he had a split personality and that the other personality that is like manifested from his mom abusing him is the one that came out when he murdered these women and he has no recollection of it. So they're just really stretching there. Yeah, because if you take into the attack on Melissa Ramirez in Washington, mm-hmm. that just, it's like it, it doesn't make any sense at all. So were you crazy for that long? Like, yeah. Come on. So state experts found that Miller was sane at the time of the murders, and that even though he most likely suffers from sexual sadism disorder and antisocial personality disorder, neither of these disorders would have left him unable to conclude from right or wrong. Yeah. So he may have some disorders and he may have some underlying Which, yeah, I'm mental sure he issues. does have trauma and stuff, but yeah. it doesn't mean but you're going to go kill someone. But that doesn't excuse you to kill two women. Yeah. On April 18th, 2023, Brian Patrick Miller was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection for the murders of Angela Brosso and Melanie Burness. I also want to note that there was no jury for this trial. It was a bench trial. The verdict was determined solely just by a judge. Wow. So that's very rare. Yeah. The uh, my what I think happened is that the defense took a risk. They thought that it would be a lot easier to convince one person that he wasn't guilty versus trying to convince an entire jury of his peers. But regardless, if you lay out all the evidence, it doesn't matter if it's just a judge or an entire panel of they're going to you're they're, guilty. It's very obvious that yes. you're guilty. Brian Patrick Miller is currently serving his life sentence in prison. I could not find where. I don't think it's relevant where. He's locked up for life. And investigators have actually started to look into other murders of young women in the Phoenix area, and they're trying to determine if they could have been victims of Brian Miller. Investigators believe that it is unlikely that Miller stayed dormant for 22 years and Mm -hmm. did not murder anyone else and very unlikely that he tried murdering Melissa Ramirez and just because he got he you know I guess you call that one for him a fluke because he didn't murder her they don't believe that that was the only time well and you have to think the confidence that he got from getting away Mm -hmm. with it I can only imagine what that did to his personality Well, and the fact that when he was, I mean, he was so popular in the cosplay world and you can tell just in some of the pictures and you can tell in some interviews that um, friends, well, former friends of his did, they've even said that he never gave off any of these vibes that he was like antisocial or weird or had any of these type of like disorders. Which is the worst because he's charming and he's easily able to trick Mm -hmm. people even trick people into thinking he does have anti-social yes, order you know like yeah. issues very manipulative yeah so all i can think is that he might do what other serial killers have done on death row 
and he might offer up information as a way to stay his execution and keep prolonging it from happening. Mm -hmm. The next case that I'm going to cover is actually looking in depth to two specific um, murder cases of young women in the Phoenix area, and they were found missing or murdered around the time that Brian Patrick Miller was living in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm going to cover it and kind of see if perhaps they could somehow be linked. But I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if over time he comes out to state that there were more victims mm-hmm. and he uses it as leverage. I mean, he's on death row. There, He's not, he's life in prison with no chance to appeal it. So because it was a bench trial, the judge got to do the sentencing, the jury there was no jury yeah to get to have an input and the judge sentenced him life without parole and sentenced to death so he doesn't have there's he has no appeals there's no way he's getting out of it so we'll see what he says it's just horrible i have a good feeling he's definitely gonna say something and i feel so bad for Angela Broso and Melanie Burnus's family members, I give them so much credit because they were at the trial every day. They gave victim impact statements. They showed up. They represented for their loved ones. And I just, my heart breaks for them that Same. they had to basically go through it all over again. And even though they have an outcome, they found justice. It I, doesn't make it better. No. And Angela Broso's mother has even come out to say that I think she also fears what is to come out of all of this because mm-hmm. you just have that feeling. You just know it was not just these two women. No. And, and he 22 moved. years is too long. And he lived in Washington. So in I... In the mountains and the... I wouldn't be surprised if there are even wonderings of what cases and murdered women there could have been out in Washington. I mean, he had a very clear, though... Um, I don't want to say style, but it's the only way that you can describe it. He would attack them from behind, stab them in the back, and yeah, all both women were killed the same way. And yeah, but then what if he changed? Like, what if because of now this would be a question for like a, a criminal psychologist? Yeah, um, something along the lines of could he have changed his mo due to him getting caught? That's getting true. away with it mm-hmm. is that a thing that he could do mentally and he, like you know it's very mentally like challenging for them to veer away from what they normally do yeah so i'm wondering is that a possibility could he have done that or is it kind of like a no that's he that would have just gone with like what, what he, he normally knew. does yeah, yeah. that's a know. very we'll have to look into that But if you have any information about Brian Patrick Miller or you believe that you may know of more victims, please call the Phoenix, Arizona Police Department at 602-495-5009. As always, thank you for listening to Crime Connections. If you so kindly would please follow, share, and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. You can also join in on the discussion of these cases at our new discussion Facebook page, Crime Connections Podcast Discussion Board. If you have any news, tips, or cases you want to look into, please feel free to email or DM us. We love hearing from you guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.